are a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Putt with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. You're early. Um, I need to. I know, and I need to get my battery charger. That's why I'm early because I decided I'd come all the way over here to check that everything worked, knowing full well that I need my battery charger, which I left at the house. Come all the way over here, being mm. the uh, the outhouse. The outhouse. That's it. I'm on the I'm on the dunny. So so. But some would say you make more sense when you're on the toilet than any other time. Yeah, I do a lot of my phone calls on the toilet, to be honest. Um, <laughs> right, okay. You're most really, productive. I'm always yeah. worried that people will hear the splash and then it's oh, oh, awkward. God. Well, that's where you can just put the phone on mute. Yeah, this is true. But then I can't talk to them. So, oh, there we go. Your MacBook will sleep in less than five minutes. Okay, I'm going to get my charger. All right. You, you sit tight and um, I don't know, you can either pause the recording or I'll, I'll pause you can the fill, the, fill the space with all of your, um, with your witty banter and advertising merch. <laughs> well, this is, think of the things I could say in the next five minutes while you're uh, ducking over back to the house there. Well, I'll leave you to it and I'll hear it back in the recording. Okay, okay, you will, you will. Well, well thanks. Good morning, good day, everybody. Welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. This is uh, Tom here. I am ad-libbing for the next couple of minutes while Matt goes to his house in order to grab his uh, charger, laptop charger, so we can have him on air for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, to let you know, Matt has this beautiful house in the countryside that... Um, that has a sort of separate office area and uh, to the home. So hence why it sounds a bit strange that he's having to trek all the way back to his house in order to get it. It's it's not a huge trek, but it, nonetheless, um, bits and bobs here, there and everywhere. That's very cool. Um, sorry you haven't heard from us in a while. We actually recorded a podcast a couple of weeks ago and then uh, Matt had internet difficulties and it cut off the first half of the recording and we couldn't recover it unfortunately because it was just you know 20 minutes of gold from me uh, more than anything else and so um sorry for the radio silence everybody hope you've been well what's been happening in our world um we are still in lockdown yes we live in melbourne for those listening overseas we are complaining we're not still technically i mean by the time this episode goes out I'm going to put it in the next lockdown, so I'm pretty slow at editing it, but like, yeah. Yeah, look, we hold the world record now for the longest lockdown for this COVID period. Moan, 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 moan. I'm just, I'm not moaning, I'm ad living. I'm I'm providing quality content for the listeners, Matthew. Quality content, my (laughs) God. Have you seen your website, Tom? (laughs) I'm joking, I'm joking. Right. Before you take offence and get on your hissy fit bandwagon. Oh, my God. You know how I can have a hissy fit? Yeah, I do. I almost, I think I almost had another one before BFOP this year. That's why I messaged you to make sure. That <laughs> I, was I was preempting it. I was trying to like make sure that I could get in first. Oh, my God. I don't know what goes on with me, I swear. I don't know why no. you put up with me. Thank yeah. you to all my friends who are still my friends because you deserve a medal, every single one of you. <laughs> putting up with my putting up with my tantrums, I swear. Um, I think a gift certificate to a therapist would be adequate. <laughs> yes. like, can you get the? I wonder, can you get that? Like, that would be a really. I think. I mean, I know that people wouldn't appreciate the gift. <laughs> you, you think it might be taken the wrong way, Matt? I reckon. But the fun thing is, like, if you were a if you were a therapist. That would be the best money maker. He's just selling selling gift vouchers that people could give to people because, like, they'd be so pissed off about the gift they'd never redeem it. Um, <laughs> but, but like, it would also kind of be like <laughs> bloody hilarious, like just to be able to get you know, a yeah. That and on, be, a, uh, on, a, on a serious note, it actually might provide somebody with the opportunity to talk to somebody about their problems and experiences. So, Matt, I expect my gift voucher to be coming in the mail very shortly. Thank you. I don't think I could put any therapist through that. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much training can do, hey? Speaking of which, speaking of gifts that arrived in the mail, 
Yeah. Well, so yeah, I mean, Tom Tom bought me a Christmas present, but how good is that? Two months before, two months before Christmas, I bought you a Christmas present. How organised is that? Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm just concerned it's not going to live that long. <laughs> like, so I, I the, the the thing behind this, guys, is that I think Tom's actually bought me a pet turtle. Oh, you wish you. I messaged you and I said, "There's there's a present on the way. I want it to be for Christmas." Don't open it until then. And you said, oh, is it a, 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 a turpin turtle or something? A terrapin. Yeah, like terrapin. tiny turtles. Yeah. Right. Right. And I... And, and you I didn't said, deny it. You didn't I, say it wasn't. I said, yeah, make sure you punch holes in the box when it arrives so it lasts till Christmas. Which I have done. Because <laughs> the thing is, if it was a puppy, I would have heard it. <laughs> but if it's a turtle, this makes complete sense because it's not made any noise yet. It could be one of those snapping turtles, and it could be snapping inside the box. You're like, I'd hear it because I've got the little holes there. I've, 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 I've held my ear up to it. I haven't shaken it because obviously, oh, right. again, you'd hear the puppy, but you won't hear a turtle. So, um, I've, I've put my ear up to it. Can't hear any turtle breathing sounds, but they are quiet breathers. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm, 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 look, I'm intrigued to be honest. To be honest, do you know what it is or not? Do you have any idea? I think I've made my case pretty clear. Right. Okay. Well, it's not a turtle, so you can. Oh. I don't, but I don't want you to guess either. I don't want you to guess. I think. Can I? Can I shake it? You can shake it. Yeah. Oh, so it's not a pet. You won't do. You won't do any harm. Well, as if I'm going to post you a pet two months before Christmas. People do that. People no, do that. Animal, animal do. cruelty. I didn't say it wasn't, but people do it. Speaking of animal cruelty, Mary the other night um, <laughs> Olivia, had to put up with you <laughs> <laughs> for Olivia's graduation. Um, tied all of these, you know, the streamer, you know, ribbon that you buy. You know, it's made of paper. She tied yeah, it all yeah. around um, our dogs' collars, um, tails, paws, everything. You should have seen it. We were ready to ring the RSPCA. It was just disgraceful. Not to mention the amount of trees that would have had to be cut down to make that happen. Unbelievable. Anyway, know, congratulations right? to you. It's an environmental hazard, that one. Exactly right. Like I, I, hope, I'm, I hope it made people happy, you know? I hope <laughs> Yeah. I hope people were stoked. I hope, those, I hope that big tree fell for the right reasons. <laughs> um, Matthew, I can just picture it now, just this big tree, like this old, like, like what is it, redwood oh, um, Redwood uh, tree sequoia yeah. in the forest just um, yeah. coming down, and someone going, "Oh, that'd make a lot of party streamers." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd make yeah, that'd be great for that. Um, yeah. BFOP twenty twenty one, Matthew, the bright. Oh wow, of we, are we you still reminding me about that? Are you? <laughs> I was going to say you're still reveling in your uh, in your achievements. I bet. You know, well, you know what's hilarious. So, um, so Wes this week, who is our podcasting guru? Um, who's, Wes goes, oh, who's Wes? Well, should, should we go? He goes, should we? Should we do like a wrap up podcast? You know, for to sort of like yes. you know, talk about the festival and stuff like that. Right, get this. And then there's just radio silence on the the chat that we've got. Yep. And Wes has just gone. Oh, I get it, Nick. So the festival's over. You cash in and walk away, and we'll see you again in August next year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. The best exactly. part was the reply was, "Yep, see you then." <laughs> All right, uh, classic, classic. I popped in and saw young Nicholas the other day. Dropped oh. off a bottle of uh, of plonk to him oh. at his house that I've driven past probably three thousand times and never dropped in because I never knew where he lived. But even when you do know where he lives, he's a pretty grumpy old dude. Like he's not someone you just want to drop in on usually. He didn't. He didn't make me feel very welcome, Matt. It's actually he, ironic that you mentioned yeah, that. No. no, no. He was kind of like I, I. I felt the temperature of the room very early when I walked in, and I went, "Yeah, clearly I'm interrupting something, and I best go." <laughs> not, not, not like yourself. He was very welcoming, very accommodating. Thank you. you know what? When when we moved into our new place, there was a little gnome at the front door holding a sign, and the sign said "Go away." And Laura was <laughs> like, "Can we cover that sign up and put something else there?" I'm like, "No." Nah. <laughs> like, I would have thought you'd say, "No, I've got the perfect place where that can go." Yeah, straight, straight over to Nick Fletcher's house. <laughs> Angry gnome. Angry gnome. Angry gnome. But so, did I'm... you enjoy yourself? Did you enjoy oh. yourself? Are we talking about the Bright Festival? Yeah, the something? festival. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry, sorry. What you were talking about last night? Um, I, I, 
did you know it's always a good show you know that um you guys put on a great event and uh and i think that's part because you get a great lineup of speakers myself excluded not included but um Right, you, you speak excluded. We we included you this year. You did, you did. Thank goodness. Despite all of your, despite all your um your a, a failed attempts at avoiding it, despite um, my best efforts to to not be there, uh, exactly. I, there. I did make a, a surprise appearance, and uh, I think you know you get a great lineup of speakers who are very talented, obviously with what they they do, but also um, they're very giving with their information. They're happy to share, and uh, and that's very important because. There are some people out there who feel that the more they share, the less is for them, unfortunately. And rather than growing the pie, they feel that they're going to be um, giving away part of their own pie, which... which everyone, uh, likes their own, everyone likes pie, so why would you give it away? <laughs> like, that's it. We love a good pie. I had a pie the other day. We've got a Banjo's Bakery here in uh, Main Street, Warnington. For those who know Banjo's, they do lots of good you're, you're fading away there a bit, Thomas. I have a suspicion that you're not looking at your microphone. I am far looking at my microphone and I'm Is your face right. anywhere near it? Because <laughs> I, I, I just hear a distant whinging in the background. And I, I, I'm, I, no, I, look, i tell you what I'm doing. I, I left my laptop at home. I got here to the gallery and I'm like, where the hell is my laptop? I thought I left it on charge mm. here. Um, it is at home somewhere, so they're scouting for it at the moment. And in the meantime, I'm using my desktop iMac to record this, which I don't normally do. Okay, well, that's all right. As long as you know that you sound rubbish. You're going to screw with the uh, the levels. Um, so I'll try and keep it consistent. And I don't even know where the microphone is in this thing. Actually, so- I'm, a, I'm a purist. I don't believe in editing. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I do, I do real audio. <laughs> what rubbish. Here we go. Here we go. But... Um, yeah, I have a question for you about BFOP, though. Yeah. A really serious question. Oh, here we go. Whatever. Serious, my ass. Controversial question. Oh. No, it's not controversial, really. Um, not more than what you are regularly. <laughs> Your new T-shirt merch. Oh, fantastic. I have to ask. So, please I have to ask. so um, I obviously have no idea who Ken is. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, does Ken know about these? I don't think he would. Ken would know about this T-shirt. Would he care yeah. about these? Is my question. I think I, I hope that he would find it funny. I hope he'd have a bit of a laugh. And do you know Ken well enough to know that, or are you just taking a massive punt? Uh, I'd like <laughs> to think. For those who don't know, um, Tom has got a new range of merchandise, which you can buy now on the website, I assume. No, I haven't got it up there yet. Oh, you're such I, a I, muppet. What have you been doing with your time? I know. I, I've been wanting to get into Mary's um, studio. <laughs> yes, her studio. Okay, okay, finish the sentence quickly, quickly, quickly. <laughs> and photograph them professionally, but I figure, oh, well, that's not like me anyway, so I should just get somebody should to take do it. A photo, just photos of you in it. That'll make people want to buy it, I'm sure. This is it. This is it. I agree. So I have a range of about nine T-shirts that have very witty uh, slogans on the back of them that I think people are going to want to love. They're all themed around landscapes. And if you know me well enough, they've got a few sort of of my catchphrases. So they're very um, incestuous in that regard, Um, self-gratifying, whatever words you want to use. And one of them, the one that Matt's referring to, I think I wore on the Saturday morning when I did my live feed uh, down at Mornington Harbour here. And on the back it has uh, Ken who, never heard of him, um, something along those lines. And, of course, it's referring to the the great Ken Duncan who is uh, one of Australia's, still one of Australia's best landscape photographers, and uh, it's just a little bit of a punt because I usually, I, I, a bit of fun, I usually, you know, when people go, oh, and, and I love Ken Ken's work and I go, oh, Ken who? Pretending not to know. But, of course, everyone who um, who knows landscape photography here in Australia should know who Ken Duncan is. He's a legend. So just out of, just, just for anyone you. who's listening who, who happens to have any association or affiliation with Ken, next time you see him, can you just oh, go and go, sorry, you're Ken who? Ken, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I don't <laughs> I actually have. You know what I'm going to do? Ken, Ken Duncan, 0418, and I won't repeat the rest. Um, I've got his mobile phone number here. He gave it to me the other day. I messaged him about something else. And, <laughs> and just said, failed to mention that you've got parody T-shirts of him. <laughs> he said, yes, exactly. I failed to mention Ken, that. I really so, need your help with something, but I you know, I should, just I so you know. Say, 
I should jump on the front foot with this one, shouldn't I? Before he's better to hear it from me than from anybody else. Is that? Or just to see someone rock up to his workshop in one of those t-shirts. <laughs> that would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. Oh, you know, but one of these days, and and you'll forget about this because it's a fair way off. But one of these days, I'm going to sabotage BFOP, and every participant in the room is going to be wearing a Tom Putt t-shirt of some description. How good would that be? I think that would be wildly comical. <laughs> so yeah, because I, I just have a big, I, I just have such a laugh knowing that you spent like nine thousand dollars on t-shirts to deck people out, knowing full well they're just going to use them as pajamas. <laughs> pajamas? You could use them as cleaning rags, mate. Jesus, you're going to cut them up and clean the car with them. What are you talking? You know, about? I've always, I've always wanted to design a t-shirt for a photographer, photographers that inside the sleeve, so make like a long sleeve t-shirt inside the sleeve. When you flip it back, it's got like a guide to manual settings on one wrist. On the other wrist, you flip it back, and it's got like an ND filter chart. You would and absolutely do this, wouldn't you? I know you've been thinking about this. When you flip the bottom up, it's got a built-in cleaning cloth, like microfiber stitched into it. Some of the parkers actually do have them. Some of those windproof, um, you know, rain jackets actually do have a little microfiber that hangs off the inside pocket. You're quite right. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I probably got one of those. I probably ripped it off going, oh, stupid tags. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've gone. That's, that's really annoying the way that's sort of hanging down there. I should just rip that off. Oh, oh, it does. It's, it's detected. Yeah, yeah. Oops. So it was, did you have fun, Matt? I mean... Fun in oh, inverted commas. <laughs> Fun's a word. Um, no, we, 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 it was fun. Um, it wasn't as stressful this year than the, as what it has been in the past. Um, and I think that's because being online, you sort of have it all lined up and it either works or it doesn't work. Um, there's not much yes. you can do when it doesn't work. So yeah, it's funny about um, that. You kind of have to get give into it. It was very stressful leading up to it. The only thing that was kind of maybe a bit of a bummer for us was uh, because we were broadcasting <coughs> from the, you know, the, the BFOP HQ um, kind of room, we were on the main stage the whole time. And because we were doing spot fires, um, just with little bits and pieces, helping people log in and stuff, um, we didn't really get an opportunity at all to jump in and, and enjoy that banter with everyone on the workshops. Um, and we didn't actually get to see really any workshops almost. Um, Wes did get to sit on a few of them and he, he jumped in. But, but on the whole, I sort of... Yeah, I, I kind of feel like everyone had this festival and we were kind of like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but uh, which is like normally when we're up at Bright, you know, once everyone kind of heads off to a workshop, you can just jump in the car and head anywhere and, you know, you've got a good couple of hours free. Yeah. Whereas uh, on the digital version, there's just things happening all the time. So it's, a, it's quite a uh, quite an intense weekend. But no, we had a lot of fun. I actually got some really cool feedback from a lot of people. Um you know, but one one that really sort of stuck with us was there was one of our sponsor brands is talking about doing um, some online events. You know, as everyone is at the moment, and yeah. uh, they took the BFOP statistics back to um, their marketing team, and and they they were all sort of sitting around saying. The, the, it's one thing to sell a bunch of tickets. Like we had five hundred and fifty people come along, which was which was awesome. Yeah, nice. but. What what's really impressive was how many people attended and how much they attended. So the the feedback that we that they'd sort of sent through the marketing team there was that um, there was a screenshot actually of um, ten thirty at night on a Saturday um, where there was still two hundred and fifty people in the room having an engaging session. And wow. for a digital festival, you know, normally you'll find that people rock up to the workshops and stuff, but when it comes to something like the social night where it's not really I want to say it's a ma- not a mandatory part, but it's not like the photography learning part of it. That's no. Cool. I think we all got dumber that night. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, but to have that many people still tuned in at that time um, is a pretty big achievement. And I think, um, you know, just the level of engagement out of it was, was yeah, it was really good. So that sort of feedback, knowing that that's getting sort of taken places, um, we're hoping that we can, you know, get these brands and once they sort of see what we're doing, make sure we, you know, make it bigger and better for next year. And your hopeful that it's going to be a physical event next year well it, yeah well not hopeful we will be having a physical event um <laughs> <laughs> rain hail or, rain, hail or shine yeah that's it will it be physically, physically sitting at home not doing a festival or we'll be at bright <laughs> um, to, to mimic the atmospheric conditions we had there a few years ago rain hail oh, or yeah. shine that was crazy be. wasn't it we had everything it was, it was amazing Although it still worked, which was kind of surprising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's pretty surprising it works on any given day, let alone when we have that kind of weather. 
But um, I think Julie Kimpton had to bring her gumboots out because she was knee deep in water in the Nikon tent. So, oh, with <laughs> all those the, um, thousands of dollars of equipment sitting there. <laughs> the uh, no, next year we'll definitely be doing face to face. When I say definitely doing face to face, obviously, like I say, definitely with the you know with the confidence that everyone can have these days. Um, yeah. But it'll also be a bit a bit of a hybrid event where we're really working hard at the moment to to look at different ways we can bring the festival to a sort of a dual physical hybrid situation while still not taking away from what the festival is. You know, we don't want it to become like a a stale kind of online or gesture to online. It, it either needs to be really kind of cool and we can pull it off and we'll do it or it's just not going to happen. So right. uh, we're kind of working through those conversations at the moment, um, which is, yeah, which is great. A lot of a lot of fun and, and I think it's... um. We've got some really cool, cool ideas and cool feedback from people as to how we can do it. So, yeah. Wasn't that interesting feedback that I sent you from a few people that said um, that they wouldn't necessarily turn up to Bright uh, because they don't like crowds. So they're more comfortable with that online forum rather than being physically there. So yeah. a couple of, couple of things is obviously... Um, I'm kind of the same, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh, look, I think that's kind of like that's a really cool that's a really cool um, thing to be able to cater to, um, and like I, I totally get that um, from. And I think after COVID, I think a lot of people will be sort of in that position. We're sort of hoping though that we're going to be twelve months past COVID, or yeah. at least past the worst of, of what COVID means for people, and hopefully people get more comfortable. And I think that if you've never been to BFOP before, hopefully the online gives you a bit of a glimpse as to what the vibe is, but. I would like to think that when we're actually up there face to face, it's the same friendly festival. And so I think a lot of people are used to rocking up to a face to face um, kind of thing like that and going, I don't know anyone and feeling really isolated the whole weekend. Whereas yeah. realistically, you actually get up there and, and within five minutes, someone's taken you under their wing and you've suddenly yeah. got six friends and you're all doing things together. And so it sounds daunting because you probably never experienced anything like it. But when you're up there, you 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 know you feel very comfortable. We don't have like two thousand people all in a marquee. In fact, rarely do you have more than, you know. I mean, for the social nights, you might have four hundred people in a marquee, but everyone's sitting down and stuff. It's not it's not like a music festival kind of thing. You you saved me there. You saved that well. It made it sound like that I was pissing on your parade. But no, what no. I was what I was um, sort of getting at too was the fact that it it highlights also too the reach you've now got being an online festival is is beyond just Brighton, Melbourne and ACT, yeah. et cetera, that you've got that world, not worldwide, but obviously, you know, Australia-wide well, we, we, we can say worldwide now because well, we, of course, we had a couple of people from the UK, a couple of New uh, Zealanders, a couple of South Canada Americans. even, Canada. Yeah, Canada, you know, yeah. Um, my friend Yvonne, uh, who's over there visiting her daughter, who's, um, who's had a new babs or about to, and, uh, and so she was listening in from from over there as well she's Aubrey based normally so um there you go. so yes so yes worldwide and uh and that's quite an achievement so well done yeah but it'd be awesome to get back up and and do it in person and uh and see everybody I think that's been the biggest issue with these whole lockdowns it's just the social interaction that we've all missed you know the 100 how much we've missed and how much I think we've taken for granted just catching up with somebody down the local coffee shop or or going out for dinner or just popping over to some, somebody's house for a drink or a barbecue or something like that is um, very much needed at the moment for Definitely. everybody. And, and like I will say, just the last thing on the BFOP part, the, the probably the best thing for us, and this is not really relevant to anyone except for, for Nick and I, but the... The best thing about what happened this year being online again was that we really put a big effort in to make this go a bit more national. Right. So um, nearly half the tickets were purchased outside of Victoria, which was right. an amazing thing because that's a whole new group of that's, people. That is incredible, yeah. And whilst a lot of people sort of, you know, a lot of, you know, if you're average punter, you probably just think of that and go, oh, well, that's great because then you guys, you know, can sell more tickets for next year. Um, the reality is we'll still cap our tickets even without restrictions and stuff because the festival needs to be kind of managed in a in a way that's you know sustainable. But the best part for what what will actually translate to to festival goers next year is that for every minute that Nick and I don't need to spend on marketing, we get to spend doing like how can we make this really fun and funky? 
Yeah. So um, knowing that we've got a really solid base going into next year where we feel like we might not need to market this thing at all just to fill the spots, you know, just even general beef hoppers who have been there for years and years will, will do that. It just means that we can put our focus into making an awesome festival rather than thinking of ways to cover the costs of it. So that's it. That's it sounds like a bit of a background kind of thing most people wouldn't consider, but that's a huge deal in our world. We spend so many weeks advertising and working out how do we how do we make the festival look and feel and you know to to, to attract new people so to have yeah. that base for next year is just it's going to mean everyone's going to have a much better festival you know surely you could leverage off the sponsors databases as well oh you'd be surprised um, right. <laughs> no we do we all right let's take that no, let's no, take no. that offline <laughs> they, they do no they, they definitely do help us like that but you've got to remember i mean how many emails hit your inbox where you don't even open them because you go oh it's from a brand you just think it's a marketing spam email yeah. um and so, you know, that's where the power of text messaging or Facebook Messenger inboxing is is going to explode yeah. because emails just become such a sort of dumping ground for anybody who just wants to get some sort of message out. And I agree, Matt. I, I have the highest spam filter on my email, and I still get over a hundred emails into my junk mail. Yeah, and then I still get probably another twenty or thirty that come into my inbox. And so most of the five minutes or 10 minutes that I spend on email in the morning is just on the delete button. Yeah. And that, and that's what we, you know, it's uh, we, our brands are hugely supportive of getting the message out, but brands are actually a lot more limited getting messages out than what, um, you know, small organizations are. So, you know, camera clubs and things like that, when they promote it, that's a very direct approach. People listen to the camera club yeah, because yeah. the camera club yep. doesn't send them advertising material. Um, yep. You know, you, you look at, you know, even Camera House, um, they're an awesome sponsor of ours and they do a wicked job of helping us, um, not just at the festival, but in promoting it. Um, but I get so many Camera House emails with like, you know, video gear time, you know, sale time on this brand that, yeah. you know, when, when they put our mention in there, which is, you know, usually towards the bottom where, where it probably belongs. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that the, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not something that people necessarily get to, but that's changing, you know, we've, we've been on this festival for six years now and, um, and it's, it's, it's changing, which is awesome. I'm, I'm very excited about next year. I really think it's, it's, like, uh, it's like you're working, you need to be working, uh, you, you, prefer it's much more exciting to work on the brand rather than than in it in a sense yeah. that you don't want to be working on the marketing and everything else you want to be looking yeah. at how you can improve it to make it better oh you have no idea how much time and effort we put in last year to try and organize a circus and a crocodile like, <laughs> it is it seriously takes so much time and um and they're the things uh, we want to be doing um which you know it looks like we might be might be set this year so yeah. oh my god and somebody was talking about a hollywood set and blowing things up for next year yeah well we we are in discussions um about because the thing with this is right so so jason bolland who is um who is he's a a, a film set um what do they call them um well they're they're, they're a yeah, stills photographer for the um for hollywood movies yeah, but they're called like it's like a unit photographer or something like that. They're called. Right. He's like their official. Anyway, he's one of those, and he so he photographs a lot of not behind the scenes, but he photographs the actual promo stuff whilst they're filming. And right. um, for this is for people who obviously didn't attend. I know Tom, you know who he is. Um, but yeah, we he he does a lot of this um this Hollywood stuff, and so we're sort of floating the idea, given that we've got a lot of people at the festival, and it would be a very very big investment to get this thing happening. Um, we sort of thought if we could set up on an oval where you could literally say everyone who wants to be here, as long as you're standing behind the line, get your cameras ready, we're doing something cool. Um, we were exploring whether or not we could do a, a Hollywood explosion stunt scene um, that everyone <laughs> can shoot from whatever angle they want, as long as you're behind the line kind of thing. Um, so I think that'd be kind of fun. I don't know how the Bright Council will feel about us uh, exploding one of their ovals, but... Um, yeah, we'll hey, see. you know, you, you you do it and then you beg for forgiveness afterwards. <laughs> or we just go and do it next to the council office and there'll be no one to complain. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But yeah. So, no, look, it's really good. Had a great year with it. Looking forward to next year. We're 28 minutes in. Thomas, what are we talking about today? Oh, well, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Um, look, uh, I as, as you may or may not know, that sometimes when we're sort of like, what are we going to talk about today on the podcast? I actually jump into uh, just Google and type in photography and then go to the news section. I'm cheating here. I'm giving away all my secrets. And then look at what's sort of hitting the, the news feeds. And just um, copy those. And Well, I just <laughs> copy, but just look for um, look for what's, what's hitting the news with regards to 
photography. There's been quite a few sort of um, photographic award announcements recently. Thanks for asking, Matthew. Uh, that's, um, yes, oh, no, I've done quite well. You won an award. What was, what I've done quite well. <laughs> Shut up. You know already. I, I, do, I actually genuinely, you, I know this sounds offensive. And it's, oh, it's not meant where to be. Where in the hell have you been? Well, to be honest, not on Facebook. Right. Uh, well, well, uh, I, as you know, a couple of years ago, um, I went to New York to accept that award for the um, Aerial Photographer of the Year. Um, and then, you sound like uh, you're trying to play that game where you're not allowed to say the word, Tom. <laughs> like, no, I no, jumped no, on no. a flying aircraft. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm too. sorry. And then, and then I, and then I fortunately won it again this year. So. Um, that was very exciting to receive that uh, news hey, this hey. week. So, uh, so I, like, what did you win? What did I win? Um, a pat like, on the back. A pat on the back at the moment. Okay. And the accolade. Um, Sunday night, very early Sunday morning, they're, they're doing the awards ceremony where I'll know whether or not I've won one of those sexy trophies like I did oh, last night. The one that looked like, um, you know, as, as uh, what were those Doctor Who Um Animals that used to that, that go around and kill everybody. A Lorax? No. No, no. Um, it'll come to me anyway. Um, so the one that you've seen here in the gallery, but um, hopefully Sunday morning I'll receive another one of those. But of course, no trips to New York or anything like that. Um, it's just exciting enough for us to be able to fly interstate at the moment when that happens. <laughs> Are you going to fly to Sydney just to receive? <laughs> <laughs> just to just to pretend, just to pretend with my with my trophy. Um, yeah, so that was exciting. Um, the BBC or the Natural History Museum Wildlife Photographer of the Year, which is the largest wildlife photo comp, was um, announced this week um, with an underwater photograph that I did send to you, young Matthew. Yeah, I saw that. Wasn't for your impressive. interest. I didn't think much of it. I think it was more the story behind the photo. It seemed to be quite an epic story. In order I didn't to read the story. Photo. I was just bitter that I didn't enter. <laughs> you got to enter to win, Matt. That's the oh, problem. Oh yeah, but I've actually got to do photography to enter. So this is it. This is it. We're all a, we're all a little bit starved of that at the moment. But then when I did go on to Google uh, to get onto the topic, this caught my eye. Just posted two days ago on a um, website called Creative Boom, which I've not heard of before. How a change in photography can inspire a change in self. Um, I'll put this in the show notes on our Facebook group for those who might want to uh, delve a little bit deeper into this topic. But um, it says um, photography isn't just a job or a hobby. If you really dive into it, it can change the way you feel about life and the world in most profound ways. And so... Um, oh, that's deep, what, isn't it? <laughs> it's deep. And so I thought we wouldn't go that deep. That's a little bit too uh, much for us, uh, us intellectuals. But what it did talk about throughout the, each of the sort of four or five photographers that they interviewed for this article was how um, what cameras they first started off with and then what they've graduated to now. And the vibe I got from that was how, um, you know, they're, they're changing cameras has almost caused a change in careers or at least passions in photography. And so I thought that was an interesting sort of topic to delve into today because... We're all gearheads. We all want the latest and greatest gear, or at least we're never satisfied with the gear that we've got. We always something something better, better, latest, bigger, you know, more megapixels, all the rest of it. So, um, I I thought I'd kick it off with uh, a little bit of my background in, in the cameras I've owned throughout the years and how that's changed with the photography styles that I'm shooting. Would that be okay? You go nuts on that. <laughs> well, I'll spend five minutes on it because we haven't got much time left. But I started off shooting with my dad's. Minolta XG9. My dad is a very keen photographer and he uh, bought that, I think, overseas in Singapore many, many years ago. Obviously, it's a film camera, a sort of semi-auto, so you could have the shutter priority, aperture priority, um, the little, you know, the light meter down, the digital light meter down the side that told you whether it was overexposed or underexposed. Um, and then I used that for quite a few years through my teenage years until my grandparents bought me for my 21st birthday a Canon uh, Q, a 10D or 10QD or something like that. It was, a, again, a film camera um, with a, a, I had, a, I think, a 35 to 70 mil Sigma lens and then a 100 to 300 mil Canon lens. And, in fact, I took those lenses to Hawaii to photograph the Hawaii Ironman for the first time. 
pretty rubbish gear, but uh, did the job nonetheless. Um, I had the 100 to 300 mil lens for the wildlife photography that I was interested in at the time, and then sort of used those long lenses to then photograph um, in triathlon, wildlife, all that sort of stuff that I, I got into. Um, and then from there, I got my first um, my first professional um, gig photographing as a professional sports photographer. That was back in October 1998. And I'm not sure if I've told that story, but I, I approached the bank that I'd been banking with for quite a few years and said, uh, look, could I get a loan for some camera gear? Um, I've, I've got this new job. And they rang me and they said, all right, so uh, what's the deal? Is it, is, it the, is it true that you need this gear in order to have this job? And I said, yes, absolutely. They, they, they need me to have all this pro gear. And they go, yeah, no problems. Okay, we can give you that money. They seem to be handing out money left, right, and centre back in those days. And I, I um, said that's changed a little bit, hasn't it? It has. It has. They were. They were just no questions asked. I think I filled in a bit of paperwork, and they just. They just. Yeah, one question asked. That was it. So I literally went into town, grabbed a twenty thousand dollar check from the bank, and walked down the street and, uh, and walked into the camera store and, and walked out with a Canon four hundred mil f two point eight, um, a Canon EOS one N, I think it was called at the time. Again, a film camera. Um, you know, wide angles, all the rest of it, 70, 2.8. So I was like a kid in a candy shop. I had three amazing lenses and a beautiful camera. So um, that that ca- that camera, I still have to this day, that went to the Olympics and I photographed the Sydney 2000 Olympics with that camera. What and sport then, um, did you photograph? What's which? Which sport did you photograph? At the Olympics? Yeah. Was Many cool different things. Um, I did sailing. I did triathlon, uh, a bit of swimming. Fair bit of athletics, there you go. Uh, a bit of hockey. Yeah, a few. So, so you did get a couple of the cool sports in there. You didn't get stuck with like. Oh, you know, there I, some I did my fair share. No, I I was one of nine photographers there, working for the Australian Olympic Committee, and our brief was to actually photograph every single athlete competing for Australia, which Ooh. sounds easy enough, but then you can sometimes have a judo person that can literally be on the map for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and they're knocked out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the wrestling things and all the rest of it as well. So like sometimes you can have no time at all in order to photograph somebody. Is that why you've gone to landscapes now? Because you can just rock up whenever and they kind of yes. sit for a long time. Yes, yes. it's far less stressful photographing landscapes. Um, I got, in fact, the, the panoramic camera that I that I now own and have photographed with for 15 years, again, film, 120 roll film, actually went to the Sydney Olympics. It was used by a friend of mine to photograph the opening and closing ceremonies. Um, And he was working for um, Monash Uni at the time and contracted to work for us. And he rang me after the Olympics a year or two later and said, are you still after a panoramic um, camera? And I said, oh, God, would I want one? And he goes, oh, the department selling that camera that I used at the Olympics, if you want it, it's like three grand. And so I bought that and still have it to this day. I love that I went to the Olympics and um, and uh, I've retired that obviously with with film sort of going out of vogue. I think they stopped making, Fuji, for example, stopped making that their panoramic film camera 15 years ago. And I spoke to a mate of mine the other day who said he's looking at selling his because it's worth more now than what he paid for it. So it's coming back in vogue. You know how those you know, cameras come and go and then all of a sudden they're on trend because people want to shoot with them again. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, and and I've, I've been shooting digital since 2003. So uh, ever since I started my portrait photography studio, which I ran for 11 years, I shot digital and that was with a Canon um was it the 20D? Yeah, the 20D. Oh, my God. Um, eight megapixels. And then graduated to the 5D, 5D Mark II. And then I swapped over to Nikon to a D800. And then I'm now shooting with the Nikon Z7. And, of course, I've had a Pentax 645Z, which is interesting and just on topic, you know, back to that article I referenced just earlier on Creative Boom, was how for the camera that you use sort of shapes the genre that you, you photograph in. And and I'm not a massive believer that the gear you own makes you or defines you as a photographer, but I do believe that it can get to a point where you kind of like perhaps a li- you perhaps you need a new lens or you need a new camera in order to then 
um, inspire you to get out and shoot again. Uh, or Everyone likes a new toy, don't they? Of course, of course we do. Of course we do. And 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 particularly in these sorts of times where we haven't had a lot to look forward to, that that could be the impetus to then get out and shoot again. But that that Pentax I bought was I've always wanted to own a medium format camera to shoot my landscapes, and that really did produce a lot of good aerial photography for me over the years, um, over the past five years or so that I've been using it. Uh, you know, it's it's just perfect for that type of photography. And so I have very fond memories of using that camera, even though now I've killed two of them. <laughs> so there you go. That's the buggers, aren't they? <laughs> oh, God forbid. They're big paperweights at the moment, unfortunately, the two that I've... Um, I've killed both, both with water damage, unfortunately. They're not as waterproof as they say they are. Or I just don't treat my camera gear um, nicely enough. But yeah, anyway. Fair enough. What about you? What, what's the sort of journey you've gone with your camera gear over Well, I hold on. Well, I mean, I, hold on. You haven't really answered the question, I don't think, have you? Oh, God. I didn't realise I was given us the, You've given us the, the, the day-by-day history of what cameras you've owned. But yeah. yeah. In terms of um, those influences, like maybe as a general statement, do you do you think that outside of getting excited about a new camera, which I think everyone can relate to, do you think that having those different cameras over time has genuinely influenced you in terms of maybe you know it might be through inspiration, it might be through its capability or what? Has it changed what you do? Um, I don't know that it's changed what I've done. I think more that I've bought the camera to suit the suit the circumstances that I'm I'm in. Mm, okay, you know what I, I mean? think a lot of people expect when they buy a camera, right? So you go, hey, like let's just take, you know, the new Z9 that's coming out, um, or you take like the Sony A1 or the Canon's, uh, what is it, the the R6 or R9 or whatever they're up to. Yep. And people, I think, often buy those cameras going, oh, my God, this is going to change my photography forever. They get them. They think that it has changed their photography forever for like a couple of months. And then it doesn't take long before you realize that it was really cool. And don't, I'm not saying don't buy a new camera, but, you know, it doesn't have the influence maybe that people thought it would. I don't know about yeah. to you, but I, I often buy equipment with this, oh, my God, this is going to change everything. And then, like, you kind of go, oh, actually, it didn't really. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I agree. And that's what I said earlier. I don't think you should buy new gear thinking that it's going to improve your photography i think um there can be a limiting factor of course you know if you're using a crappy lens and at the end of the day you're realizing that you're not getting the sharpness out of your photographs that you need an upgrade's going to be worth it isn't it mm, but um, for me for me i think i i sort of like found myself in these genres or these jobs where i needed that particular gear so i or the gear to shoot those jobs, you know, rather than vice versa, rather than, oh, I've got this great camera, now I'm going to go and chase this particular genre of photography or this particular job. Um, mm. In that sense, it's sort of like uh, I was getting the square peg to fit in the square hole rather than anything else. So, um, yeah, you know, like I'm not obsessive about photography gear. I, I like using good gear, don't get me wrong, and I didn't think I would ever go from, you know, using a, a nice big, heavy, bulky fits in the hand like a glove type Pentax 645Z to then go into a, a Nikon Z7, which is small, compact, very lightweight, mm-hmm. um, feels like a bit of a, I call them a bit of a toy camera, but it's anything but because the quality it produces is outstanding and I wouldn't use it otherwise. Um, and and perhaps that I think that's probably more a sign of the times with how well they're able to get the small amount of, a great amount of you know quality in a small piece of equipment, but also to um, just that I'm I'm not as happy to lug around all this heavy gear anymore like yeah. I used to. I'm getting old, not as sort of strong as fit as I used to be, believe it or not, and uh, and therefore it's not it's not fun to drag around all this gear and have your backpack weigh 15 kilos every time you want to go out and shoot. Very true. Very true. Well, my one's a bit shorter than your one. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's imagine because I'm half that. of Tom's age. Um, right. But, uh, no, I started off my photography, like realistically what got me passionate about it was my parents bought me an MJU Mini. You know, those are the Olympus Tough cameras. They were, looked like an egg almost. Um, they were like yeah, I'm going to type that into Google so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. MJU Mini Olympus. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was my, cause I was kind of interested in like, 
you know, naturey stuff. So it was like an underwatery type camera. Um, if you, uh, yeah, so basically I bought, I, I got one of those and that kind of got me really, you know, it was just mucking around, nothing serious, not taking pretty shots or anything. Cause of course, back then you didn't really have, um, you know, any platforms to share digital stuff. Um, but from there, um, the next sort of memorable camera, I actually won a D90. Um, nice. A Nikon one. And it was from a, a couple of shots that I took in uh, on a trip to Cambodia. Um, and I entered it kind of randomly because my mum sent me a competition thing. And I thought, oh, why not? I'll just give it a crack. Like, And I can't remember the photo I even submitted to it, but I won this D90. Um, and then sort of got into it a bit more because I was like, cool, i got a really cool camera now. And D90s were actually manufactured until about a year and a half or two years ago. It was like the longest They were big at the time, weren't they? They were very, very big at the time. Yeah. So um, I actually ended up upgrading to a 5D Mark. I'm going to say Mark II because I can't remember, but it wasn't a Mark I. And I don't think it was Mark III. I'm pretty sure it was Mark II. Um, And that was when I was was working in a professional video role and um, Mm. we used a Mark II at work. So I was like, oh, I'll definitely get one of those. But of course, I made that rookie error of going, I can afford the camera with the kit lens, but now I can't afford any lenses. And so... (laughs) I had the the twenty four one oh five f four and and a macro lens I think and that was it and I just realised like I was getting into my underwater stuff a bit and just realised that I just couldn't I just couldn't afford to service that camera, you know like couldn't afford lenses for it there were L series lenses, um, also didn't really know what I was looking for um, or what I needed. Um, I couldn't afford to um, get the underwater housing for it, which was sort of starting to get my interest and so I, I actually. Um, decided I was going to switch kits entirely and I actually went and bought a Panasonic GH2 right? Um, and I just went all out like I sold the Canon kit and I you know I didn't lose a lot of money on that sold all the Canon kit and just straight up bought like this um, Lumix GH2 with all the lenses underwater housing and everything it cost me about 20 grand for the whole kit Jesus. Um, and I was pretty stoked because like I mean I was working at the time but I wasn't like you know in a particularly great you know paying role but you know i was it was fine it was still a lot of money to spend and i went and started i was diving a lot of the time so i took some some underwater shots and again mum messaged me saying hey there's this competition you should enter it and it was an olympus underwater competition and this was no joke three months four months after i'd bought this camera (laughs) (laughs) and um anyway I won this ambassadorship with Olympus and I'm thinking, oh, that's amazing. This is so exciting. I'm so happy. Wow. Really, really over the moon. And keep in mind, like a lot of the cameras I was using at the time because I was working for a company, they had camera gear for me. So this is my personal camera choices, not not what I actually used on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, Olympus, um, they go, oh, great, you've won this prize. It was a trip to the Solomon Islands for, for 10 days, wow. which was just amazing because they actually sent me there, which beneficial for them, the, the resort was having some maintenance done. So they actually shut the resort down for 10 days. Um, no way. I went there during the time they were doing the renos, which didn't affect me at all, but it meant there was no one else on the island. So I got private boats everywhere and everything because it was just doing a shutdown period. So everyone kind of won. But um, then they also handed me this brand new camera with all the underwater kit. And what do they give wow. me? Bloody Olympus Pen One or EPL Three, which was like the Pen Light. So like the the the, the basically the bottom bottom of the bottom rung um, oh. interchangeable lens camera and housing. And oh. they said you are now the ambassador. This is the gear you're oh. going to use. And I'm what? like, I just bought twenty thousand dollars worth of pen. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, oh shit. <laughs> and so anyway, I um. Yeah, I, I, I started shooting on the Olympus stuff. And don't get me wrong, it did a wicked job. It wasn't as flexible or versatile as my as the kit that I'd bought because, you know, just by the nature of, you know, where you purchase in that hierarchy. Um, but, yeah, it really started shooting that. I couldn't bear – I just could not bear to sell my Panasonic kit, though. So I actually no. held on to it for nearly four years after that before yeah, right. I started selling it off because I was just like, oh, surely, surely, surely. And, of course, I upgraded to, you know, different Olympus kits throughout that time and, and whatnot. Um, but this is what did you, end up using the, did you end up using the Panasonic much then? You'd spent 20 no, grand on all this gear. Yeah. Oh, God. No. But, but the good thing is because the lenses are both cross-compatible. Like, I kept a lot of my lenses. So I used a lot right. of my lenses um, with, that, with that kit. And, um, and, again, because the price of housings actually goes up each year, um, I didn't lose a lot of money on the housing because – by the time I was going to sell it, um, that housing was still worth what was actually worth, you know, 30% more than when I bought it. So really, um, I didn't lose. Is that unusual for any sort of camera gear to appreciate in value, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. But I guess with um a lot of the underwater photography equipment's tied to the US dollar. Right. And so you can get a quote for a, for like a housing today. And if you don't buy it today, the price is different tomorrow, even based on your quote, because the American dollar or the US dollar is changing or Australian dollar is changing every day. So, um, you know, our dollar went from good to really bad. And so yeah. housing prices, it's a bit like, you know, when you see like, um, I know Nikon had a massive price hike, um, I think it was last year. It was like a 20% price hike and everyone freaked out. And they said, well, it's just the, the, just the import, like the dollars yeah. just don't line up. So yeah. um, it happens to all industries. It's probably just a bit more... Um, uh, a little bit more volatile with some products because they're not sort of set for a month or two. They're like day by day. Whenever you put the order in is when you pay the, the money. So, right. But um, the fun part here, right? So the actual part that makes any sense into this conversation that's worth listening to <laughs> um, is, is my change from my Olympus system, right? So we went diving with the humpback whales um, for 10 days in Tonga and this was in 2018, um, mm. I think, 2018? Yeah, 2018. And um, it was just the most stupidly good experience. So you'd literally jump in a, in a, like a speedboat in the morning, you'd go out into the bay in Tonga, no one else around and you'd, there'd be whales and you'd just jump in the water with the whales and just like snorkel and free dive with them, you know, mostly snorkel with them. You weren't really going down and diving um, nice. in most situations anyway. Um, yep. There were some, some situations where you're allowed to uh, and with really strict limitations. Um, others, you just sit on the surface. But um, I was photographing next to a mate, who was and I had a, I had I had bought a D850 at the time, um, just because I wanted something that was much more powerful or a D810, sorry. And then I went to a D850, um, but I hadn't got an underwater housing for it because I was like, oh, it's a bit bulky, a bit big, a bit expensive. And I went on this trip, and what I noticed was um, when you when you're doing underwater photography, especially, you spend a lot of time looking through a viewfinder. And wildlife in general, you know, unlike a landscape, and I'm not nothing on landscapes, but once you set your composition up with a landscape you can really pull your, cam- your your face away from that camera and then you're dealing with settings that you don't need to look through the viewfinder for because your composition of course, of changes. Of course, right? yeah, no. With wildlife and underwater and sports and all that, you're glued to that viewfinder because you, you've got such a, a – your scene's just changing constantly. Yeah. And what I noticed was that we spent 10 days in the water with these um, whale sharks, but um, – oh, sorry, not whale sharks, with these um, humpback whales. But um, I spent the entire time with my face glued to a viewfinder that was showing me a digital image. Right, and I felt like I got out of the water at the end of the day, and whilst I had an amazing time, I kind of felt like I'd just been watching a documentary on a really small TV. Yes, <laughs> like yeah. there was this lack of looking through a like looking through a, a physical viewfinder, like a, a glass viewfinder. You are actually watching in real time, just through a different lens. You're watching mm-hmm. what's happening with a, a, a mirrorless camera, though you are looking at a digital representation. And so the, the, the image quality is really good these days, but it's not the same as looking at the actual thing. And, and there's a, it's not a lag. I won't call it a lag because that'll make people think there's an actual lag. It's not a lag. It's just like there's this feeling like you're watching a television. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't feel like I really got to experience what I was there to experience. I feel like I got some awesome shots, but I didn't get that next level. And so I actually came back to Melbourne and just immediately dropped a whole lot of money on buying a D850 housing, which was monstrous and stupidly expensive. Um, Used it for a few, you know, for six months or something like that. And then we went into lockdowns, which was a bit painful, but, um, but uh, I've actually now gotten rid of my D850 housing and I've moved back to mirrorless to my, my Sony system only because the capability from a focus, low light um, resolution, high speed frame rate, uh, video raw quality, just all those things just come together in technology. And so I've, I've really battled over time between mirrorless and DSLR because they've got both got these attributes that I love about them. Um, and that has definitely influenced how I shoot because I, I think when I'm on a mirrorless camera, it's easier. Like you, you, what, what you see is what you get. I was lucky enough yesterday to be out on a shoot um, with an, a, an essential service. So um, you're allowed to photo, photograph essential <laughs> at the moment. Just Calm down, down people. For the fun police, come and arrest me. Um, yeah. And I was shooting on my, my Sony, which is one of the first real shoots I've been able to do on it because we've been in and out of lockdowns and stuff. Mm. And loved it. But, geez, I tell you what, it just took me straight back to that place where I was like, I feel like I'm almost a little bit less engaged with it because it's like the settings are much easier because what you see is what you get. Um, And I just didn't feel like I wasn't necessarily fully there. And that might be an influence of COVID stuff as well, like just, you know, the whole environment we're in. But I I really felt as though looking through that viewfinder, I didn't have to think as hard. And I think that made me check out a little bit, you know? Right. 
Whereas with the DSLR, right. you've really got to be onto your settings because you don't get to see it. So you sort of, right. you really have to focus. Whereas mirrorless, I find I don't have to focus as much like mentally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that does definitely probably change the way that I shoot. But I totally agree with you that you, I'd never buy a camera with the expectation it will change my you know, change my world with the exception is, you know, you might get a camera that's got, you know, amazing folk autofocus compared to your camera, which will help with your wildlife, for instance. But, mm. but I certainly wouldn't go out there. Uh, and I think I've learned that only by buying a lot of cameras that have maybe disappointed me in the long run where I go, Oh, cool. The camera's as capable as it said it was, but it didn't, you know, that didn't make me more capable necessarily. No, it's just, that mismatch it's just kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, most of the, like you think about it, if, if, if it came down to cameras um, being the be all end all of your photography, the best photographs ever taken on the planet would have been shot this year. Yeah. Because we've got the best cameras ever this year that have ever existed. Whereas the reality is the best photos that have ever been taken in a lot of cases were taken years, if not decades ago. Um, and that that's, that's not a reflection on the camera they had. That was just a sign of the times, a sign of what they saw, how they saw it and captured it. So, yeah, technology is really awesome um, and, and, and it supports everything that we do, but it, it's not the answer to getting uh, that next level. No, no, absolutely not. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Uh, it, it had me thinking about what – have you got a particular um, underwater trip that you'd love to do now that we're – emerging from this lockdown is there is there a place that you'd be heading down here on the morning peninsula or anywhere else that you as we as we all emerge as we all emerge matt will submerge (laughs) 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 no um to be honest i'm i've actually sold my d850 housing and i'm yet to purchase my a1 housing um i actually i nearly dropped the dropped the the dollars um this year but um as soon as there was there was sort of a tinkling of oh we're going to be in lockdowns again um, yeah. It just doesn't make sense to have it sitting here, not being used. And, and realistically, the, the part with underwater housings is you, they're so camera specific um, and they do make changes to those housings. So if you're not going to use it for six months and you know you're not going to use it for six months, um, you know, the dollar might change by then. You might get a better result in terms of price. You might yeah. find that actually I want a housing for a different camera. You can't just cross between them. It's not like a lens where you go, oh, I can do something with it regardless so i actually put that purchase on hold so um my, my first port of call um this week as we emerge out of lockdowns is to go and spend all my money on an a1 housing and a brand new shiny eight inch glass dome port which costs more than people would like to think about oh right do you know how much it, these are all hand forged glass domes right and they're optical glass and hand polished and i'm thinking like because i've got a, an acrylic one that i've used in the past and the acrylic's pretty good but if you shoot straight into the sun you get those acrylic buff marks catching the light and um and so i was sort of chatting to the guys um up at scuba picks who, who just they're awesome um and peter mooney who's the owner there was saying um he goes look he goes this is why we don't sell them with your type of camera anymore he said because they just don't hold up i said okay what am i up for then he goes well you need to buy the um the it's a 25 centimeter glass dome port i said oh that sounds expensive and heavy and he goes yeah it weighs a ton and um i'll email you the price <laughs> Oh, oh. He, he was he was so scared of telling him the price that he said he it. He knows exactly what he was up for, what I was up for. I was just like, bloody hell. So, oh, no. But oh, you know what? The good news is I can start taking some photos and maybe I'll have something to enter a competition at some point in time again. Go back to my former glory of actually winning things. Well, you know, that's I, I think uh, this opens another debate that always comes up about, oh, I'm not big on entering comps and I don't believe it and all the rest of it, which is fine. Hey, hey, but, hey stop stealing my lines. But, but uh, no, no, no. But, but you know, like um, for some people it's a great motivator to get out there and shoot some some great pictures that mm. they, they're aiming to, to put them into competitions, you know. It's not their sole purpose, but by the same token, you know, I love – entering competitions because I feel like I've got some good stuff to enter. Yeah. And whether it does well or not is neither here nor there. I really am not attached to that. Like I, for, for five minutes I'll go, oh, that's a real shit. I thought I was going to do really well or those photos didn't score as well as I would have liked. And then I move on because yeah. I still love the photographs regardless of whether somebody else has thought they're good or not. So, you know, I think um, – I think having that to aim for is is can can be a good thing, you know. It can push you to to go out and shoot really good stuff, you know. And and here's an so example that we're talking about. Even like you know, this is a great example of um, 
you know, will will camera equipment help change what you're doing? The answer is yes, because at the moment I can't do it at all with the equipment I've got because <laughs> I don't have it. So this is a, hopefully a good investment. Um, but but yeah, it's um, you know, I think that there is definitely a time and place where gear is going to help you. But it's um, have, have you got that acquisition past the Minister of Finance yet, Matthew? I'm not. <laughs> or are you still going to find out when you come through the door and 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 go? What's that big box doing in in your office there, Matt? Like I'm very lucky. Uh, stuff again? <laughs> I'm very lucky to have um, business accounts and personal accounts. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. So much business with pleasure. No, no, no. It seems like you have, from what I hear, you have quite a few arrivals that come to your doorstep almost daily. Is that um, right? We, well, Laura does like her online shopping. <laughs> That's rubbish. <laughs> That's rubbish. You know, I'm not referring to Laura. Yeah, yeah. I think your prime Amazon account is, you know, going to the next level now. It does get flogged quite a lot. Gold. Although she got the log into it. So now my business transactions, I'm looking through them going, what? what's this? What's that? I can't, <laughs> so, I can't believe how cheap that is. I think one day I got sucked into it a few months ago, you know, buy prime. It's only, you know, free this first month and then $6 every month afterwards. And I'm like, oh yeah, fair enough or whatever. And, you know, it's one of those things that you don't, you don't, um, you don't care to cancel, so to speak. You can't be bothered. And then, um, you know, Mary and, and uh, Isabella are watching that Nine Perfect Strangers on, on Amazon Prime. They're like, oh, I really want to watch that new series, but it's only on Amazon Prime. And I'm sitting there in front of the TV with my mobile going, hold on, I think that I've got access to that on my phone. <laughs> you know, Next thing you know, I've, I've, with, through the membership, through this, you know, expediated shipping, I've got access to all this other stuff as well. I'm not, it sounds like a big ad for Amazon. It's not. I'm just saying um, I think it's incredibly good value for six bucks a year or something ridiculous. See, I hate, I hate Amazon in terms of like I, I really <laughs> – no, no, like I, I hate Amazon from the perspective that – I'm morally against Amazon. I don't think it's a good thing for the planet. But just right. like Facebook and that, I also go until someone comes up with a better solution or until people kind of, you know, like at the end of the day, when I'm a customer, yes. you, you want to look after local and you want to look after people who look after you. But yep. there's a lot of products out there where, you know, my money's either going to, to Amazon who will ship it literally, it'll arrive same day or next day. Yes, I can go to the local retailer who's owned by a massive conglomerate anyway, and and they'll take six weeks to ship it. So, um, I, yeah, I use Amazon it's... constantly for stuff, but I but I'll always go local when it's a um you know for instance I wouldn't buy camera gear on Amazon. I buy that all from local shops. Not not just because of my association with them, but anything that I really care about as a purchase, I want to know that I've got to have support if something goes wrong. Yeah, and yeah. Amazon's yeah. level yeah, get looked after. Yeah, yeah. and. and Exactly. And you walk into the shop and they'll talk you through it and they might even, um, they'll obviously hopefully advise you with the best gear to buy. But if there is a problem, maybe they're able to fix it. Maybe yeah. it's not a problem with the equipment. Maybe it's just you not understanding how to use it. And yeah. so they'll talk you through that, of course, you know, I've, and I've use been, their expertise. I've been in a situation before I bought something uh, like a lens from a camera shop, taken it home, used it, realized that actually it's not what I was after. Actually, I wanted the faster version of it. And taking yep. it back, like you know, very much unscathed, like not used, yeah. used, but like taken out of the box. Of and course. they've they've gone and they'll they'll let me upgrade it, you know. So yeah. it's what you get when you get you know personal service. But geez, I tell you what, for things like I've been decking out this studio with like acoustic tiles and stuff like that. You go to local, you know, local shops that sell acoustic tiles, and you're paying a hundred bucks a piece. I, I, yeah. You know, no doubt crappier quality, but do, does the job. It was like thirty bucks for six pieces. I just thought I can't I can't, I can't justify that. Uh, that extra spend for um for, no. for, for not going on there. But do, you've also got to remember on the flip side that Amazon is just the conduit between um you know sellers and buyers too. It is. It's the way they take. At the end of the day, they're not. They're not screws the, one the buyer, Screws the seller though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of businesses out there that wouldn't exist without Amazon. You very know what true. I mean? Very because true. of the volume that they're able to, to produce. So at the end of the day, Amazon's just you know. Hosting the product on their website and taking a small cut from the Maybe sale. You know what it is? It's probably Bezos's ugly little face that just annoys me. <laughs> Do you know what annoys me most about Amazon is that I read this fantastic book on Amazon years ago called Get Big Fast. Um, can't remember the author. And because I was fascinated with the internet and these emerging technologies back then. And uh, and I looked at Amazon's shares and, and buying some at five dollars each, and I yeah. bought on it. I bought and I put the money that I had into the mortgage instead, and did the the right thing in inverted commas. And instead, um, look, they, those Amazon shares, if I'd hung onto them, would now be worth about three million dollars. But that's okay. That's okay. Imagine. I'll, I'll make, 
Make imagine money elsewhere. How many, imagine how many cameras you could have bought for that three million. You could buy a Hubble telescope. You could do serious aerial photography from the moon. <laughs> no, you, you know satellite, what? Do satellite aerial but, photography. No, no, no. New Google Maps. If if I had all the money in the world to spend on camera gear, I wouldn't buy it on gear. I'd actually buy it on I'm publishing my own books. That's what I need. You already I, do that anyway. I know, but there's a books that are there, Matt, that I I still would love to publish in to the, today, and yet um, just funds don't allow. My snow landscape photography workshop, a book on Lake Eyre that I'd love to produce, one on Australia. So there's three or four books that um, if if I had all the money and time in the world, I'd certainly get those knocked out sooner rather than later. Anyway, they'll come. I've just got to be patient. And we will all be patient for you, Tom. We'll all be chomping at the bit waiting. You, you don't Thanks, worry. My coffee, my coffee table is already crying. It feels lonely. <laughs> I don't know. I'll go put your Mornington Peninsula book on it. Wait, wait give me a sec. Oh, there, that, that's better. That's better coffee. Oh, there we go. There All right, we Thomas, go. we've gone way over time. We're at an way hour over time. This has been the most blabbery episode we've ever done. Well, that means we've we've uh, satisfied our listeners, I'm sure. Yep. At least we've satisfied we've satisfied the checkbox that says we did podcast. <laughs> at the very least. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Matt. Great to catch up with you again. Well done on Beef Up. Well done to uh, Nick Ruiz. He's called Beef Up. No, I call it B-Fop. Oh, we should call it B-Fart. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> With a little soundbite in there just yeah. to you know, emphasize the fart bit. Um, we're so immature, I swear. Um, we'll catch you uh, next time. Hope you've enjoyed listening, everybody. Keep uh, an eye out on the Facebook uh, groupies page there for uh, any show notes, anything else. But um, in the meantime, we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Bye, everyone. 